Hello, hello, and welcome back to DFT's Dungeon. My name is Daniel Terry, and I just got back from vacation, so I want to apologize in advance if I sound a little bit relaxed, but if you were curious and you didn't catch my announcement on the last episode, I did pause the podcast for a week to go on a family vacation. It was amazing. I remember sitting down in the resort that we were staying at and thinking to myself, number one, how did I get here, somebody this low income? And number two, I was like, you know what I really want to listen to right now? Some Norwegian death metal. So that is exactly what I did. And by the time I got home, I really didn't have a plan on what this episode was going to be. And the answer was in front of me the entire time. I was like, I have to talk about Undeceived by X Toll. Have you ever been exposed to something that absolutely blew you away? Like to the point when you had consumed all of it and started seeking out other things that were just like it, but then it was like nothing else really measured up? Well, I have. Except in my case, it was one band versus an entire genre of music. And let me back up and explain a little bit what I mean. When I was first getting into music in early high school, I was very limited in what I was able to obtain and, to be honest, what I could sneak past my parents. So while at first I was satisfied with the popular rock music that other kids listened to, it just never quite did it for me the way it seemed to do it for other people. I'm not really even sure what it is, but it's one of those things that whenever you hear a band, you hear an album, and it connects with you on a personal level in a way that no other piece of media really can. And sure, I liked bands like Korn and Slipknot and Limp Bizkit and Linkin Park and all of that stuff whenever I was in high school. And, and I still like some of that stuff now. But at the time, I was always looking for that new experience. I had not found that one thing that was going to change the way that I looked at music. And so I just never really felt satisfied with what my friends liked. And maybe it was something as simple as it's not mine, right? It's not the thing that only I like and everyone else hates. I think I just never really felt like my journey was completely over yet, if that makes sense. And all those bands that I listened to that progressively got heavier and heavier, it was kind of like a journey to get there, right? Because I'd hear some stuff and I would think temporarily, man, this is it. This is the thing. But I kind of view bands like that now as more like touchstones in my musical journey. And also in high school, my life took a really interesting turn whenever I got heavily involved in Christian youth group culture. And like a lot of youth group kids, I started off kind of just trying to enjoy the music that the other kids in the group enjoyed. If you go back and listen to my Dead Poetic episode from last season, I kind of talk about how I had insecurity fitting in with that group anyway. So it was kind of my best course of action at that time to try to blend in, at least at first. And I know some of you guys already know these stories from previous episodes. So if this is your first episode, please understand that I could spend at least 10 hours explaining every nuance on how you go from listening to Christian pop punk to Christian death metal in less than three months. But for your guys' sake and for the sake of time, I'm going to try to do it in nine. The music that the kids in the youth group listened to was really kind of a toss-up. 
they would listen to bands like Reliant K, the OC Supertones. And, you know, some of the hard-edged kids listen to P.O.D., and then some of the more sensitive kids listen to the Juliana Theory and Further Seems Forever. And to be honest, I was lucky to be in a group of other kids who had that diverse of a taste in music. But my interest in those bands was a little bit forced because before I started attending the group, I listened to bands like Nirvana, Linkin Park, Incubus, Korn, and Mudvayne. And considering the lyrical content of bands like that, I kind of kept those musical opinions to myself at the start. But it was at this group that I met my friend Buddy, who also shared my love of harder-edged rock music. And as our friendship started to blossom, we both set out on that musical journey that in a lot of ways we're still making together right now. And you can hear even more about that on my Project 86 Drawing Black Lines episode from last season. We talk about how we met in the group, how we became friends, and all of that goodness. Buddy introduced me at first to a lot of harder-edged Christian bands that he had kind of collected. And if it wasn't for Buddy, I would have never heard bands like Project 86, Justified, Blindside, and Pillar. And while we thought those bands were all super cool, we both mutually agreed that we wanted something a bit heavier to listen to. It's interesting looking 23 years in the past and remembering just what searching for new bands looked like back then. I only had internet access for like a year at that point since before that my dad refused to hook our computer up to the phone line because it was quote the mark of the beast. But eventually my brother and my sister and myself started to wear him down and we used the age-old explanation that dad we totally need this for school. <laughs> and so he broke down and finally decided to install one of those AOL discs that you got in the mail for free. We probably still have like a thousand free AOL hours. I should, I should look into that. You've got mail. I remember the ritual of sitting down and dialing out to the internet and just kind of waiting for the modem to connect. Only for it to time out right in the middle because my mom would like pick up the phone upstairs and then just start dialing away. I remember I would just sit there and watch it time out and just like try to get mad. But then like my mom would not have it. If I got mad about something like that, it was over. I was off the computer for the rest of the night. <laughs> When I finally was able to connect to the internet, one of the first websites that I remember visiting was called godcore.com. And it was this giant database of Christian music. And they had cataloged, I want to say thousands, but it was probably like hundreds of bands. But it was an overwhelming list at the time. And they even had that infamous, if you like this secular artist, you might like this Christian band chart. But because it was the old internet, it wasn't like you could just go on there and stream songs and check out bands. Some bands actually offered entire songs to download on MP3, but usually all you got was like a one-minute clip of a song. And even those took me anywhere from like 15 to 30 minutes to download. So you'd have to invest quite a bit of time for just that one clip, and that's literally all you had to go by to decide whether you liked a band or not. And I don't know what people were thinking, because like you know how like with metal songs they'll have like two or three-minute intros? If the one-minute clip that you heard to decide if you liked a song or not was part of the intro, then you had no idea what that band sounded like. 
So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the mindset was behind that. But I remember going through all of the genre names, and there were a few genres that like I'd heard of, but didn't really know a lot about. But the genre that fascinated me the most at that age was death metal, because I, I kind of had an idea of what death metal was at the time. Like, you know, you everybody knows the Cannibal Corpse is death metal, right? Everybody knows that. But outside of like the really big name death metal bands like Cannibal Corpse or Obituary, like even when I was in high school, which would have been like between the year 2000 and 2004, those were still considered old bands. So I never actually knew enough about death metal to engage with it. But, you know, I had kind of gotten into hardcore at the time. So I understood the concept of like extreme vocals and, and harder edge music, you know, heavier riffs, double bass drumming and all of that good stuff. And at Agape Festival one year, I actually picked up two Mortification albums because somebody had told me that they were death metal. But the two albums that I got were just Hammer of God and Triumph of Mercy. And I remember kind of liking Steve Rowe's death metal voice. So whenever I see death metal listed and there's like a hundred bands there, I was like, okay, okay, maybe, maybe this is the thing that I've been looking for. I remember also having no idea what black metal was. And I remember Buddy and I used to theorize that it was like uh, any other kind of metal, but was just super dark and depressing, which I guess isn't that far from accurate, but we didn't know anything about corpse paint or tremolo picking or, or intentionally lo-fi production at the time. So, you know, and, and plus just the idea of there being Christian black metal, like didn't seem weird to us the way that I feel like it would feel for somebody that was into black metal and found out about Christian black metal. I remember a lot of the bands having really silly names like Demonic Dismemberment, Vomitorial Corpulence, Amortium, and my personal all-time favorite Christian death metal band name ever, Acoustic War Against Satan. And let me tell you, a lot of the bands I checked out on that website sounded like they had recorded their songs in the middle of a subway station where the mic was hidden in a closet somewhere. And I really wasn't too impressed with that because up to that point, I had only heard like, for lack of a better term, professionally produced records. You know, I'm listening to this Amortium song and like, I can hear the growling, I can hear drums blasting, but like, in my mind at the time, I didn't even hear music. Now, I would go back years later and listen to that Immortium demo and think, oh, you know what? This was actually kind of cool. But at the time, I was like, oh, man, if this is what death metal sounds like, I don't know if it's something that I'm really going to be into. But for whatever reason, I remember clicking on the name Extol because their name and logo just looked cool. It had like a cross and it seemed to be like wrapped up in thorns. And the description for the band at the time was death slash black metal with progressive tendencies. And I had no idea what any of those words meant at the time, but I had 30 minutes to kill. So I downloaded a one minute clip of the song Burial. And I sat back and listened closely on my pair of $20 Sony headphones. And while I couldn't really make sense of what I was hearing, 
I was pretty intrigued by it. The the production quality was better. I could I could hear the notes. And so what I heard were these like fast, weird tempos, these really strange screeching vocals, weird time signatures. And I would later find out that that song was almost five minutes long. And the little snippet of it that I got was not really a great measuring stick for what the song was really about. But I still liked it enough to click on the link to the band's website, undeceived.net. And it was there that I found out that the band had two albums out. The first album, Burial, and then they had a newer album called Undeceived. And at that time, I didn't really have much money, kind of like now. So I just wrote the band name down in this little Mead composition book that I used to have. You guys remember those? I'm sure they still sell them at like the grocery store. It was that one with the black and white cover, and you could just sit there and like try to fill the white parts in with blue or black ink. At one point, I'd filled in all the white parts so much that it just looked like a black notebook. But I did also enjoy taking like dark red ink and coloring in all of the white parts so it looked like that there was blood all over it because, you know, death metal. But a couple of months later, after cutting a whole bunch of lawns and picking up change off the ground for my daily walks around the subdivision, because I was that weird guy who would walk around the neighborhood day and night wearing all black and not speaking to anyone. And I'd finally saved up enough money to buy a few CDs. And now getting that X-Toll album wasn't going to be easy for me because I couldn't just go to my local Christian bookstore and ask for it. Although now that I think about it, Undeceived and Burial were released on Solid State Records in the U.S. So I probably could have actually done that, like just ask them to order it from Solid State, but most of the time, again, like the weird walks around the neighborhood, I would kind of just go into the bookstore, not say anything to anybody, look through all the CDs, and then leave without buying anything. You know where 1640 Riverside- Are you gonna order something, kid? So I ended up asking my big sister to order the CD for me. So she jumps on a website called eBay and pulled up the CDs for me. There was a seller that was selling like Christian metal CDs. It was a really great way to get metal CDs under my parents' noses because they didn't like go through her mail like they did mine. And I remember she ordered me X-Toll's Burial and Undeceived and then also Zayo's The Splinter Shards, The Birth of Separation. And I remember it took forever for it to actually arrive in the mail. It was a US seller and he printed the shipping label and marked it shipped the day that we placed the order, but then he waited like a solid two weeks before actually putting it in the mail. And you guys know that whenever you ship stuff online and you provide tracking that like the buyer can see that you haven't dropped it off at the post office yet, right? Like you do know that. It's not cool, it's not clever, it's just fucking lazy. So don't do that. That reminds me, I still have to send out a whole bunch of stickers that I said that I was gonna send out like three months ago. When the package finally arrived, it was one of the best mail days of my life. And now obviously all three CDs that showed up in that (sighs) one bubble mailer were albums that would go on to be pillars holding up everything that I love about music today. Splinter Shards is going to be an ending episode for a future season of the podcast for sure. And I'll have to also put a burial episode on, you know, maybe next season because I'm going to be praising the hell out of Undeceived on this episode, but please don't mistake that as me not loving Burial as well, because Burial is an absolutely incredible album, and the biggest perk about the upcoming Burial episode is that you don't have to listen to me tell this, like, big, convoluted origin story about it, because 
because I just did. Schwacked. So where do I even begin with Undeceived? I'm kidding. I know exactly where to begin. Keep in mind that I've never heard anything off of Undeceived before getting that CD. So this was a totally novel experience for me. You know, I, I heard one minute of Burial and, you know, thought that I was an expert already. But I remember taking a little bit of time to just look at the cover artwork because it was cool and dark. But there's a guy on there that looks basically like Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars, but you can't see his face. He's wearing like a dark hood. There's like a flash of light like right in front of his eyes. It's really cool. And on my Solid State Records version of the album, it has an actual black cover, like almost kind of a grayscale. And there was another version put out by Century Media that has the same cover, but it's like red. And for some reason, that one swaps the first two tracks, making Undeceived the first song instead of Inferno. But don't worry, because my version starts with Inferno, because that's the way that God intended it. I remember sitting in my bedroom with the lights off, eyes closed, laying on that waterbed, listening to the album in total solitude on my Walkman. And Inferno starts off with some distorted guitar noise that gives way to some really fast-paced riffing, double bass drumming, really odd tempo shifts, and then it all kind of fades away to this like lo-fi vinyl scratch kind of sound. And then suddenly there's violins playing. And this song goes in four different directions within the very first minute. And I still had four minutes to go. This song just builds and builds and builds until the one minute 39 second mark and you finally hear the vocals. And holy shit, those vocals. On that initial listen, the vocals absolutely invaded my brain. With my 2023 ears, I realized that the vocals are all heavily processed with like various kind of effects, multi-tracks, voice doubling and all of that stuff. But at that time, that kid that was listening to the album 20 years ago on his waterbed, they were absolutely mind blowing. They're so high in the mix that they just overwhelm everything in a good way. And Inferno just sounds so big and utilized every frequency of sound that I could hear at the time. I'm sure after all these years of listening to music like this, I probably can't hear every frequency that I could back then. So the album probably did actually sound better to me at the time. I'd heard little bits and pieces of other death metal bands at that time, but absolutely none of it sounded like this. This band was fusing death metal, black metal, and progressive metal in such a way that it was completely unmatched by any other band I'd ever heard. Spoilers, I'll get into that later. The instrumental mastery on this album was beyond what I could really put my finger on at the time. But I felt it in my bones as soon as I heard it. That, that, that pervading thought of, this is good. And not just good, but I don't know if there could ever be anything better than this. And that's just how I felt about the first song. Although, interesting factoid about Inferno is that on the Century Media version of the album... They added like 20 seconds of ambient noise to the end of the song, which is weird. 
because like I was listening to it on Spotify earlier this week, and I was like, "What? What is this?" I had the phone in my pocket, and I thought that I had like skipped to a different song or skipped to a different album. I don't, I don't remember it being there, and I was already kind of annoyed that the album had opened with "Undeceived" anyway. But man, speaking of "Undeceived," "Undeceived" begins with these beautiful violins and cello that is immediately dashed against the rocks by a full-on assault of double bass, death and black metal blended riffing, and apocalyptic vocals. When I was a teenager with this song in hand, it was impossible for me not to fake people out with it. It's like, oh, hey, what kind of music are you into? And I'd be all like, oh, you know, classical stuff. Like, check this out. I think you'll really like it. And then they hear this. Really good metal has this way of making us all into trolls. I remember Buddy and I used to do this to people all the time. It was a really good measuring stick to get a good read on whether a girl would still be interested in talking to you, like, ever again after you showed her something like that. And despite all the trolling, the song is a total masterpiece. It's like seven minutes of double bass, violins, and screams, and, you know, obviously, you know, guitars. But there's so much melody on this song. X-Toll has always been my favorite example of a band that could pull off melodic death metal compositions that don't sacrifice the overall extremity of the music. And lyrically, this song is just as dark and brutal as the music, as it describes a person attempting to commit suicide after losing all hope. And the picture they paint is really dark and creepy. The lyrics say, She lies in her bed, staring into nowhere, tears running down her face, an open wound bleeding, her body turns pale. And then later on in what I guess I'm going to describe as the chorus, even though it's not really that, they say, no sign of light, no sign of hope as the dark shadow enters her room. A freezing chill runs down her spine. The presence of death fills the room. And that's some super creepy stuff considering I was laying in my room in the dark while I was listening to this. And thankfully, though, I really couldn't understand anything that he was saying at the time. But, you know, God does show up at the end and save her, as that is typically the case on Christian metal albums. But I appreciated the band's willingness to address these, like, dark and hopeless situations. Up next, you've got the song Time Stands Still, which starts off with this soothing acoustic guitar intro. Well, again, it does if you have the solid state version. See, the version that's on Spotify cuts this entire intro from the song for some unexplainable reason, which really irritated me as I listened to the album because I was expecting to hear it and it's just gone. Look on a mask of my boy. But other than that, it's a really cool song with some fun tempo shifts and this really creepy bit at the five minute, 45 second mark where he whispers creepily, prisoner of filthy chains unclean unclean it just builds like you really feel like you're walking around in the middle of a swamp and it's like 23 degrees outside and it's just a really kind of unexpected nightmarish moment on the record
And now we get to the song that I want to talk about the most, which is called Ember. Ember is probably my favorite X-Toll song. It has every single element that the band has to offer just inside this one song. The intro blasts in really fast with this really techy guitar work that sounds like something you'd hear off of a Cynic album. And then that transitions into this creepy, slower-paced, melodic section. And then we hear something that we haven't heard on this album yet. Beautiful, and I mean beautiful, melodic, clean vocals. And all these years later, if I hear another technical death metal album attempt this exact thing, it is flat out never as good as it is here, and I will absolutely die on that hill. I did not go into that record for the first time expecting to hear beautiful vocals like that. And honestly, like even even later on when I got into even heavier music than this, I'm I've always been the kind of guy that really didn't appreciate clean vocals in in heavier music, but but I could just not imagine this song without those vocals. It is such a great contrast. But eventually those harsh vocals kick right back in in full fury and the pace of the song picks back up. Just like on the song Undeceived, they deliver intense extremity with equal doses of melody in such a unique way that to this very day, I've never heard another band replicate And I think you guys kind of get the idea on this album. I don't want to spoil the entire second half of the album. I just kind of wanted to give a, a little bit of a overview of what my first listen through was like. But definitely listen to the second half of the album. It's incredible. I fell in love with this album as soon as I was done with that first listen. It's one of the few CDs from that era of my life that I still have and is still in great listenable condition. And it was one of my first introductions to quote unquote real extreme metal. And it wasn't long after that that I started telling people that I was a huge death metal fan, man, despite really only having those two X-Toll albums. And honestly, I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I think that still counts. But what this album really did is it opened up my eyes to what was possible with extreme metal. If I hadn't been a fan of Christian metal in my high school years, then I would have never become a fan of bands like Opeth, Death, Cynic, Obscura, Suffocation, and the list goes on and on. And the biggest takeaway for me with Undeceived is that despite them being something of a gateway band for me, when I first heard them, I loved them instantly. And that desire to seek out other bands in the same style absolutely yielded results for me. I never found anything that I liked more than undeceived. I listened to nearly every single band that X-Toll has listed in interviews over the years as influences. And while I did like some of those bands, none of them ever really affected me quite as profoundly as undeceived did. And I did a metal podcast for almost six years and listened to almost 300 bands, full discographies. And on some level in the back of my consciousness, I was comparing what those bands were doing to what X-Toll did on Undeceived. 
Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of DFT's Dungeon. Like I said in the intro, my name is Daniel Terry. And if you guys have been following the podcast all through this season, I've got good news for me and bad news for you guys. We are almost done with season two of DFT's Dungeon. I have three episodes left after this one. I already have episode 20 of season two recorded. I just have to edit it and add a little bit of magic to it. But that one's done, and so there's only going to be three more episodes this season, and then I'm going to actually take an extended break of about six weeks, and we'll be picking the podcast back up in late July or early August of this year. So it's not going to be too long of a wait, but uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that the good times will be put on temporary pause while I sort of relax and recoup and try to come up with some ideas for making season three as good as it possibly can be. That being said, if you like the podcast, please make sure you're subscribed to it. Make sure you are sharing it with your friends. Anybody that you know that's into this kind of music that likes this type of podcast style, maybe have them give it a listen and see what they think. Also, make sure to leave it a review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any way that you can uh, leave a review on the podcast. That is much appreciated. And speaking of appreciation, if you want to support the podcast financially, I do have a Patreon that there will be a link to in the show notes. And if you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can do that by following it on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. But the coolest place to be with DFT's Dungeon is the Discord server. There will be a link in the show notes that will take you to Discord. And if you guys just want to ask me a question or something like that, you don't feel like joining a whole bunch of stuff, just send me an email, dftdungeon at gmail.com. I read and respond to every single email that I get. Do not be afraid to reach out. So I hope to hear from you guys soon, but if I don't, that's okay too, because I will see you again here next week. 